Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies Podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I am looking at the the video-transmitted shaven face and hair of my dirty, <laughs> filthy little slave, Sam. I could say the same thing, although, um, yeah, I'm the slave, so I don't get to call you my slave, but we can change it up every now and again, can't we? I, um, yeah, we can. No, no, you're shaved for me. I'm shaved myself, you're shaved for me. That's how this works. (laughs) I understand, sir. Things are going to get a bit spooky today, which is always a bit of fun. Uh, The topic for today's podcast is uh, filmmaker and occultist and novelist, Kenneth Anger. Kenneth Angelmeyer was born in Southern California in 1927. He grew up in a fairly rich, well-off family that had connections to Hollywood. And the best indication of that is uh, he actually played a child prince in a 1935 film version of A Midsummer Night's Dream. He began making films from a young age Uh, In fact, his first film was made when he was only 11 years old, Um, although I'm assuming it didn't have the themes that his later films would have. I don't know. I don't know. I heard he got into occultism and mysticism, etc. quite young, you know. The interest is probably already there by age 11, you know. That's the impressionable... That's when I became a witch. Well, he did. In his teenage years, uh, the, the, the two main influences on Kenneth Anger's work... Uh, his homosexuality 
and uh, his fascination with the supernatural and the occult, in particular, the writings of Aleister Crowley. Now, Sam, I'm going to test your, your occult knowledge here. Okay. Do you know who Aleister Crowley is? He is the founder of, what's it called? Felmatism? Fel- Thelema. Fel- <laughs> Look, he's a mystical uh, elder of some variety. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a one-on-one of Thelema. So uh, Thelema is a classical... Isn't it like the mask version of Wicca? It is kind of the mask work. Well, I would argue, I would argue it's the better version of Wicca, but maybe that just makes me a misogynist. (laughs) So Thelema is like a classical Greek word for uh, will or desire. Okay. Um, And so the whole purpose of Thelema and Aleister Crowley, uh, Crowley um, said that he invokes a particular deity, uh, deity, when he was in Egypt and that's where he got the whole idea of Thelema from. But the basic idea is that everyone has a true will. So a, a, a true uh, purpose in life that the universe is compelling them to do. Cause your true will is freedom. Uh, and the whole purpose of Thelema is you do rituals and like occult practices um, in order to discover your true will, which sits in your subconscious mind. Okay, um, my ego is processing this as we speak. Yeah, so it's it's a fast, so it's kind of like a precursor movement, uh, I think, to the hippie movement because it's all about like, you know, what's that hippie phrase of like killing the cop in your head or something? Um, it's about like getting rid of all the superficial stuff and then finding out your deeper core and what you're meant to do. Okay. This sounds like something Charles Manson would have told his followers, but we, we've got a Manson yeah, link coming up in the future. <laughs> um, so Thelema was of a huge, it was a huge influence on Kenneth Anger and you can see it in his work. He uses the iconography of occultism in a lot of his work. Um, also important is the Lima's emphasis on sex magic. So mm, um, I can get behind this. Yeah, Alistair Crowley, in his found in when founding the Lima from the very beginning, emphasized uh, sexuality as something that was uh, that needed to be treated as a sacred act. And they would perform these sex magic rituals where, you know, two people, three people, multiple people would be having sex in an area um, and you'd have like ritualistic garbs and candles. It's, it's basically like all the shit that we've been hearing about, like how Hollywood works in their private parties is basically how, how the Lima worked. And the whole point of it was because um, you're trying to get rid of your ego and show your true, true self, when you're having an orgasm, everything's like automatic your 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 most passionate self so you get uh, an insight into who you're meant to be so anger grew up in his teenage years uh, obsessed with the occult and obsessed with the supernatural um, but also obsessed with sex and i think that comes out in his first film that he got a lot of attention for uh, which was in 1947 when um, anger was 20 he was living uh, near Hollywood at the time, and he produced his his 
first short film that gained notoriety for all the wrong reasons in 1947's Fireworks. Let's just say this got my libido burning. I was, you know, I was, uh, I'll start it again. I was like, let's just say this one got my libido burning. I'm going to keep that in because that was No. <laughs> Look, these, this film really did uh, resonate with me and experiences that some I'm glad I never had, some wish I had, you know. Look, uh, Kenneth Anger's films are not great to watch when uh, you're in isolation because of COVID-19 and can't have any sexual partners, basically. It's okay. My left hand did just fine. Let's let's just say say a freeze frame was used. I'm leaving all of that in as well. So in Fireworks, uh, Fireworks first of all starts off with the image of a sailor holding a lifeless body. We then cut to a sleeping man played by Kenneth Anger himself, who wakes up in bed and gets dressed. Um, the, the dreamer walks through a door and finds himself at a bar where there is a sexy, sexy sailor admiring <laughs> his muscles. Um, the sailor then attacks him and then various other sailors um, start beating the shit out of Kenneth Anger. I, I'm assuming this is some sort of erotic fantasy that he may have had i think it's, it's some kind of erotic play on like re- repression and you know internalized hatred i'm not even gonna call it internalized homophobia given the time frame i don't well i don't he is 20 and he's just released a very homoerotic short mm. film i don't know if he does have internalized homophobia i think he's ramping up his i mean to give you, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the listeners um, with some, I won't spoil any everything for the listeners, but there are there is some imagery in this film of like white liquid being poured and, uh, and fireworks <laughs> coming out of pants. Um, so the, the, there's no subtlety in the sexual imagery. <laughs> no, no. It's definitely channeling some sort of um, red hot... Um... Boner. Pent up, passionate desire, rage. You know, <laughs> and remember, this is 1947, and he produced. I was actually shocked when I was watching this to, to see that, but then I wasn't so shocked when I heard about the controversy afterwards. I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah, so it was released in 1947, um, as you said, to uh, controversy. Um, upon the release of the work, Anger was arrested for obscenity charges. Um, although he was eventually acquitted because the the court found that it was art rather than pornography. The thing is, I think Anger loved this because throughout this entire trial, he was claiming that he was actually seventeen um, when all of the when the film was was shot, um, just to stir up some of the tension. And you see this throughout his work that. The guy loves a bit of attention. He likes to cause a bit of controversy. Definitely a provocateur. Definitely a provocateur. In Anger's words, uh, the film was meant to be a symbolic process of death, rebirth, and self-realization. 
Uh, it is heavily influenced by Thelema, although I think most people, when they watch it, just see horny, sexy business that's a bit arty. I don't know. If I if I had to summarize it, I'd say it's maybe something to do with, like, the danger and, like, temptation of, like, burgeoning teenage boy sexuality. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not complaining. I he was actually 20, so I can watch it guilt-free knowing that I'm not salivating over anyone. Well, I don't know about you know, the, um, be. I don't know about the sailors. I wonder what he told those sailors. Yeah, where, where did he recruit? <laughs> That's what I was thinking too when I was watching it. Where did he recruit the cast members from? How did you get, it would be hard to get people to do the, the things that he was getting the people to do. I think I did read, in 2020. I think I did read somewhere that they were, they were actual sailors and that was their sailor uniform. Well, he was obviously very persuasive. That's all I can say. <laughs> Maybe it didn't even realize their head in their head that it could be like a sexual thing. I don't know. Maybe the devil made them do it. Maybe the devil. Well, yes. Maybe he used his magic. In fact, the release of this film actually resulted in Kenneth Anger striking up a friendship with the sexologist Alfred Kinsey. Do you want to know what I got on the Kinsey test? What did you get? 3.2. Oh, you're barely a homosexual. Thing. I'm I'm definitely like a number one whatever the like no interest in women women are like statues to me I think that's a six but I might be getting it wrong maybe I'm maybe it's the other way around um Anger's later films explored his further interest in the occult but also his interest in Hollywood so I'm just gonna briefly note some of these other films so uh Puce moment, Puce moment. I have no idea. 1949. Uh, it sounded like pussy. I didn't mean to say it that way. <laughs> well, that, it is about a woman. So, it is. You know, that, um, I'd believe that. It's a fairly, I'm going to say, not that great film. Short film of Ooh. like a 1920s style flapper um, getting getting dressed. And it's clearly... You being me- against something starring a woman. How, how against type? Yeah, Kinsey Six. <laughs> yeah (laughs) the and it's it's meant to be kind of celebrating the the symbols of of old school hollywood which he'll come back to later in life um there was also rabbit's moon which was this fantastical type film where a mime interacts with the bio describes them as a harlequin which i'm assuming is some sort of like mythical creature um with a magic, I think the Harlequin's like a clown type thing, right? Yeah, like a, it's like a jester. Yeah, so there's this mime and this Harlequin uh, talking. It's very hard to interpret. There's like a magic lantern and there's the moon. Um, so that's Rabbit's Moon. Also very esoteric, very much like on par with his interest in Thelema and, and those sorts of things. It was um, about midway through in his filmmaking career or his first run of filmmaking career in 1963 that he produced his next most infamous film Scorpio Rising. I will say um, as far as his films that I've seen go this one is actually you know at the bottom of my list. It's a bit boring. Maybe it wasn't maybe there wasn't enough occult in it. It's a bit boring. It was cranked up on the eroticism and cranked down on the occultism. Well so um, I it's interesting. I didn't like this as much as some of his other films either. Um, but it's weird because the description makes it thinks that I would definitely love this just for its shock value. So in Scorpio Rising, an army of gay Nazi bikers make their engines roar and ride their way uh, through sexual and sadistic symbols. 
and this is all intercut with pop music from Elvis to the Angels um, playing in the background. was some interesting controversy uh, during the opening of Scorpio Rising um, because there was a lot of Nazi imagery in Scorpio Rising. Um, and so there were protests outside the theatre, um, but not by who you would think. There were actually protests by the American Nazi Party on the basis that the film, due to its homoerotic undertones, insulted their flag. Okay, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> Um, the police were also called on site by the Nazis, um, and the film was removed. Um, it ended up being quite a foundational Supreme Court case in California about whether or not this film was obscenity, uh, and the court found that it wasn't obscenity. And that, that actually... I mean, you barely see a flash of a dick, come on. Yeah, look, this isn't his most pornographic of films, um, but just interesting that it was... Nazis offended who then yeah. called the authorities to censor them given the current climate which we were going like it's just the politics yeah, of it you, is I, hmm. I felt like with this film he was definitely displaying um what would have been considered quite outrageous displays of sexuality a lot more freely hmm. um I just think that the eroticism came first in this film and the occultism came second. So that's probably why it doesn't resonate with me as much as some of his other works. Well, it's interesting. I think that there is an element of... So there's this thing within Alice um, that Thelema and, and earlier cult traditions of the importance of symbols and that if people invest a certain amount of emotion in certain symbols that's kind of where the magic happens. That's where the change happens. And so I wonder if his use mm. of his, his um, transgressive use of Nazi symbols and swastikas and stuff is him trying to do something kind of magical of um, I'm taking this like fascist symbol, but I'm making it homoerotic. Like that, that, that was, that was yeah. playing into, you know, the development of the film. Unsurprisingly, um, given the timing and given the kinds of um, liberationist type issues that you see in Angus films, he got a lot of attention uh, amongst American countercultural icons at the time. And I think uh, this is no more clear than uh, in Angus' 1969 film, Invocation of My Demon Brother.
my personal favorite. I've heard it might be yours. It's too, mine so, as you know, well. For once we're agreeing on something. It's I. It's one of the best things that I've ever watched. I know that's like a big statement, but like, there's such particularly. Um, there's a couple of different versions of it online. Um, there is a version of it with modern instrumentation on the back of it um, that I'll maybe put on the link uh, to this podcast episode to it. Um, it makes me feel things, Sam. I feel things. The invocation of my demon brother. Um, you can't summarize the imagery um, as one thing because it's an intercut of various different events happening at once. So there's there's homoerotic imagery interspersed with performances um, by the Rolling Stones, um, images of the Vietnam War. A really War, hot albino guy. A hot albino guy. Uh, naked hippie musician smoking weed out of a skull. Um, lots of uh, various images played together um, beautifully, I think. And just to indicate how much of a countercultural icon Anger was at this point, um, the original synthesizer score was made by Mick Jagger. Uh, Mick Jagger obviously uh, appears in the film itself, along with um, uh, beat poet Lenore Candle, the founder of the Church of Satan, Anton LaVey. Uh, and if you want to learn more about the Church of Satan, listen to our Satanism episode. Uh, also in this short film is um, Bobby Bosalaya, who was a member of the Manson family and would go on to kill Gary Hinman, a fellow associate, associate of Charles Manson. There's some fun facts for you. Cause, so clearly Anger was involved in all... Um, of the radical elements of the 60 movements all at one time. And I think knowing that those, those kind of both the good and the bad, the bad of the hippie movement is in this film just kind of adds to its, its charm. It's, it's sexy, but it also is clearly in the name invoking something. Clearly there's something occult going on um, that is meant to be achieving something through this short film. What I found most interesting about it as well is that it's kind of, it was a real precursor for 70s possession horror films. And yeah, so, I mean, you know, you can obviously see the very clear influence it has on, you know, like David Lynch, Dario Argento, even like Jodorowsky. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, these are gen- these are like three filmmakers all from different cultural backgrounds it looks like Kenneth's gotten his, you know, his fangs in all of them. Yeah, it's, it's had an influence in particular with our kind of pop cultural understanding of what a Satanist is as well and what an occultist is. Um, because, you know, these things existed. You had Tholema, you had the Church of Satan, but the imagery of the, the, the skulls and the psychedelic component to it, um, the mixture of like violence and chaos and cultivating that together, being satanic, um, is something that is distinctly from um, Invocation of My Demon Brother. Um, And all other films that came afterwards were kind of mimicking this idea of the kind of like dark side of hippiedom.
bummed that he never um, crossed in, over into the feature film world because I would have loved to see just one, you know, one full length work from him. I don't know if that. I'd be interested to see. I think his films mm. were designed to be like gallery films. I don't know how much. Inf- yeah, I don't definitely. know how much um, interest he would have had in something that had a narrative component. Um, yeah, obviously, but I feel like a lot of the films, a lot of the films that he inspired, I feel like were definitely style over substance. So I just would have been interested to see what he would have done with some batshit seventies possession film. At least from the interviews that I've seen with Anger, he seems uh, like a very introspective person, and maybe wasn't seeking out that kind of fame. And in fact, he he seemed. The entirety of Anger's work seems to be somewhat of a critique of Hollywood. Um, and I think, as, as a good segue, this is a good uh, a good time to start talking about um, the books that Kenneth Anger has written. Um, so, Kenneth Anger is most known for a book called Hollywood Babylon, published in 1959. Now, I... I don't know how to describe this book other than a kind of a mix of TMZ and, uh, you know, the celebrity gossip TMZ and like rotten.com because it had images of dead celebrities and crimes and grisly details uh, interspersed with kind of gossipy um tales about the sex lives of old Hollywood. Um, so I know some of the things that were included in the original um, publication were allegations that Charlie Chaplin fathered multiple children to multiple different women. Um, there were leaked ex- excerpts of a diary of Mary Astor um, detailing apparently her rich sescapage. Um, there were sexual talks about uh, Mae West having multiple sex partners um, and about directors exploiting actors and actresses at a cast or a casting couch type situation Um, and then most infamously um, images of Jane Mansfield's infamous car accident were uh, first widely publicized in Hollywood Babylon so God, no wonder he's got a sequel like 25 years later. Yeah, it's just this this cheap and tawdry uh, affair um, and caused a lot of controversy at the time. It was originally published in France uh, but wasn't actually fully released in the US until 1965 because um, there was a federal ban prohibiting it from bookstores. Um In 1975, the New York Times famously stated, if a book such as this can be said to have charm, it lies in the fact that here is a book without one single redeeming merit. So (laughs) it caused a lot of controversy, this book. I guess in a way this book kept him going because in the 80s when he retired from filmmaking and he was so broke that he apparently had to sell his air conditioning unit, Mm. He published the sequel. He did. He published uh, Hollywood Babylon 2 in the 80s, um, which is much shorter and has a lot less scandalous details from what I could tell by skimming through. Um, But one huge paycheck, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure people would have bought it um, just for its salaciousness. And I don't know 
how much Kenneth Anger actually cares about this stuff. I have heard on some modern reviews of this book that this was essentially him doing a bit of a fuck you to the conservative parts of the Hollywood establishment and said, you think I'm depraved? Look how fucking depraved all of you are. Um, And at least some of the things that he says, particularly about like directors and casting couches and people sleeping around, probably had some truth to it. Um, I know some of the most scandalous claims um, have been proven to be false and he's just done it just to be a bit of a shit stirrer, which, you know, seems to be part of how Ken- appreciate how Kenneth Anger works. Um, it's, it, he is alive today, but obviously he doesn't have the internet. Imagine if someone taught him how to use the internet. He would love it. I would love him as the third window in our Zoom chat oh, right now. Oh, it'd be great. So, as you said, Sam, uh, Kenneth Anger's career took a bit of a downturn in the 80s, and it remained that way well until the 90s, actually. Um, He came back after a long hiatus to release a film uh, called uh, Don't Smoke That Cigarette, um, which was intercut clips of old films where cigarettes were being smoked, except I have heard one online rumor, which I don't know if this is correct, but I kind of like it if it is correct, that he's actually stolen this film because the film was originally released in the early 1990s as Smoke That Cigarette, and he added Don't to the title, and then he released it at his own film. Well, look, whatever it takes, you know. It's a... Sometimes a man needs a dollar. I feel like that could be art. That's kind of clever, you know. Times change. Yeah, well, it's, it's, what is originality? Um, the other, since then, he, since 1999, he has been producing other little short films, uh, nothing of, of particular note. He's also been um, producing ads <laughs> for various products. Uh, so, you know, getting some of that commercial buck, he's finally given up his hippie roots, I think, in old age. But... Kenneth Anger is still alive and well. The latest interview that I saw of him, uh, the person interviewing him said that he was um, furiously cutting out articles of sex scandals in the newspaper that he was going to send to the Kinsey Institute um, because he wanted to see various, various aberrant sexual behavior researched. So he's still going strong and still has kept his esoteric interest going. Thank you for listening to the Sinister Sissies podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sinister Sissies, as well as on Instagram at Sinister underscore Sissies. You can follow me on Twitter at Jared Bartle, that is Jared with a Y. Sam does not believe in social media still, so you can't follow him on anything, but if you want to pass on a message, just send me a DM. Or Sinister underscore Sissies on Instagram. Oh, yes. Sam does does uh, is in charge of the Sinister Sissies Instagram, so you can get in touch with him. Uh, That's the underwhelming content. If you... No, the content's been really good. Follow our Instagram. Uh, if you are interested in supporting the show, we would be very appreciative of that. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sinister Sissies. But until next time, stay sinister.